morning, Watermark Dallas. My name is Adam Tarno. Excited to be with you guys this morning uh, to set up our time as we continue on in this Summer on the Mount series. Just tell you guys a quick little story of something that happened to me this week. On Wednesday, I was down in New Braunfels hanging out with some friends, left to drive back up here to Dallas around lunchtime, got on I-35, started heading north, started to feel a little hungry, decided it was time to pull over and get some lunch, and I stopped at this little spot there along I-35 that I believe is God's gift to Texas. I stopped at Bucky's. <laughs> there's some fans in here, aren't there? Yeah, there's some Bucky's fans in here indeed. Uh, can we all just agree that that is I-35's only redeeming quality? <laughs> if you're in here and exploring the faith and wondering whether or not sin exists in the world, all you have to do is get on I-35 and head south and you will see evidence that sin does exist in the world. And so, but praise God, there's Bucky's. Those of you that are sitting in here and you don't know what Bucky's is, this is a gas station convenience store that is the size of East Garland. It is massive, okay? And, uh, and it's got everything. And the reason we love Bucky's, the reason I love Bucky's, is because Bucky's gives us options. And that's what we want, right? We want options. When you come in and you wanna get some gas, you don't wanna choose from four rows of gas pumps, right? You wanna choose from 156 different gas pumps. That is what you want, that's what we want. We love that, when you go inside, you want a bathroom that all of East Garland could use at the same time. And that's what Bucky gives you, and it's spotless, and it's clean, and you've got all kinds of drink options. You've got a wall of beef jerky, for crying out loud. Where else do you find a wall of beef jerky than at Bucky's? And so we love Bucky's because it gives us options. There's so many candy options. There's all those popcorn options. That popcorn is colors that I didn't even know existed as I walk around there, and I love it. I never feel prouder to be an American than when I walk in <laughs> to Bucky's, and it gives us options. And so I start with that because the passage that we're gonna look at next in the Sermon on the Mount, in the words of Jesus today, is a very kind of uh, unpopular thing. It's maybe un-American, if you will, because us Americans, we love our, our options and our choices, but I think really everybody loves options and choices, and what Jesus is going to be saying today is gonna be viewed as a little bit unpopular. And the reason why is because uh, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that the most important decision that you and I make in our life, there are only two options. There's not rows and rows of options. There's not thousands of options. There are two. The most important decision that we make today and every day, there are only two options. And so what is this most important decision? This most important decision is this, is where are you going to find life? Where are you gonna find life? And when the New Testament authors talk about life, they use two different words. They'll use the word bios, which is physical life, and that's not the kind of life that Jesus is talking about today. The other word that they'll use sometimes is this word zoe, this, this, uh, this abundant life, this spiritual life, this vibrant life. Maybe the way we would call it here in 2019, we'd say this good life. Where are you gonna find the good life? And when I say good life, I'm not talking about just health, wealth, and prosperity where we're all fit and happy and rich. It's not just that. It's a little more deep than that. This good life, this Zoe that, that we're all looking for, that every single one of us wants, is largely filled with healthy relationships, a life of meaning and purpose where you know you're making a difference in the world and a difference in other people's lives, where you feel this this call on your life and that every day when you wake up, it matters. That's what we're looking for. And then when you die, that you will spend eternity in heaven where it's just perfect. That's what every single one of us 
wants, and Jesus knows that that's what we want, and he wants that for us. He wants us to experience that Zoe. And he wants that for us, and he's saying that you got a choice to make on where you're gonna find that, and there's only two options. And I think this next passage is so important, as all these passages in the Sermon on the Mount have been important, because I think what some of us are gonna realize here this morning is this, is that we've made the wrong choice. We thought we were chasing after the good life, and we realized that we made the wrong choice. Of the two options, we chose the wrong one. And so I think we're gonna realize as we go through this and unpack this next section of scripture that we've chosen poorly, and by the grace of God, we can, we can remedy that choice. We can get back moving in the right direction as we're gonna see today. And so if you got your Bibles, let's jump on in. We're gonna go back into the Sermon on the Mount This summer, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapter five, six, and seven. This is actually message 14 in this series, and so we've been uh, walking through this, and and the sermon is now about to change. It's about to change as we go through these last couple of sections, because here's what Jesus is doing. He's now getting ready to land the plane. He's getting ready to close the sermon up. He's done teaching, and now he's doing what all good teachers do. He's looking at his audience, and he's saying, now is the time to make a decision. He's driving towards application. And he is making it so clear, so clear that his teaching is not just to be admired. His teaching is to be followed. It's to be followed. And so he's looking at the audience and he's going, now is the time for you to make a decision as to what are you gonna do with all of this that I've just said. So he's gonna tell us, and I'll just break this up into three little points here that he's gonna tell us that we've got a choice to make. He's gonna give us a caution of some people that we might see as we walk through this life, and then he's gonna give us a clue to let us know whether or not we're moving in the right direction and if we really have found life indeed. So here we go, Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna be in verses 13 through 20 this morning. Here's what Jesus says in seven, verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So let's just hit pause there, because this is what Jesus is saying. He's looking at the audience. He's about to close down the sermon. He's going, hey, now's the time to make a decision. You have a choice to make, and he uses a metaphor. He says there's two roads, and there's two groups of people on these roads, and these roads lead to two very different destinations. You can choose the wide road, and there's a bunch of people on the wide road, And that's the easy road because it's wide and there's all these people there and it may be a good time and you may feel secure knowing that there's all these other people around you as you walk on this wide road, but he makes it very clear that this wide road leads to destruction. That's the destination of that path. Or you can choose the narrow path. The narrow path is fewer people. It's probably a little bit harder. But at the end of that narrow path or while you're on that narrow path, you will find Zoe, you will find life. And so he's saying that you need to make a choice. You need to make a decision as to what direction you want your life to go. And Jesus is reminding us here that the the path that you choose matters. The path that you choose matters, and the reason that it matters is because your direction determines your destination. The direction that your life is moving in determines your destination. And Jesus wants us to choose the direction of that narrow path of following after him, and that's what's gonna lead us to the destination that we all want, that good life. And we know this. We know this inherently that your direction determines your destination. 
let me just use a silly little example here. I talked about New Braunfels just a few minutes ago. Let's just assume that I won the lottery and so I bought Schlitterbahn down there, okay? And uh, I want all of us, everybody in this room today, we're all gonna go down to Schlitterbahn. So we're gonna finish up the church service. I'm gonna say have a great week of worship. Then we're all gonna go out and get in our cars and we're gonna drive down to New Braunfels and, and just spend the day there at the heavenly Schlitterbahn down there, okay? So we're gonna get in our cars and we're gonna get on Central Expressway and we're gonna head south, and then when we get near downtown, we're gonna have a decision to make. Are you gonna hop on over Woodall Rogers and get to I-35 South so that you can start heading south towards New Braunfels because I-35 is the way you get down there, or are you just gonna go, well, listen, I'm going south and New Braunfels is south, so I'm just gonna stay straight, and Central's gonna turn into 45, and then you're gonna go straight on down 45, and you're not gonna get to Heavenly Schlitterbahn if you stay on 45. Where are you gonna get? Humid Houston, all right? That's where you're gonna get. So we know this, we know this, this is simple. Your direction determines your destination. If you're moving in the wrong direction, it is not going to get you where you want to go. And listen to this. If you're on I-45 heading south, but you wanna be in New Braunfels, it doesn't matter how fast you drive. It doesn't matter who's in the car with you. It doesn't matter what music you're listening to, it doesn't matter what podcast you're listening to, it doesn't matter what kind of car you're in. It doesn't matter uh, what lane you drive in. It doesn't matter how often you stop to use the restroom or get something to eat. It doesn't even matter if you hit the Bucky's just north of Houston. If you are on I-45 South, you will not end up in New Braunfels because your direction determines your destination. And Jesus is saying, I want you to choose the right direction. I want you to have this life and this life is to follow me. And he didn't just say this here in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. If you go over to the, uh, the Gospel of John, he said it there and he uses the same language of gate and road and way. Look at what he says here in John 10, nine. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You will find life. You will have this reconciled relationship with God and you will be able to walk through life in a, in a, in a, a reconciled relationship with him and you will find that life indeed. I'm the gate, enter through it. John 14, six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's that word again. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus, as he's closing down this sermon for that audience and for this audience and all of us in here today, he's saying the most important decision you're gonna make in life is which path you're gonna choose. And your direction determines your destination. And he wants you to follow him on that narrow path. As I've been thinking about this passage, anticipating that this is where we were gonna be here in a few weeks, as I've been thinking about it, and thinking about this narrow path and this wide path, I've been just thinking about my own life. And some of my story that I've shared uh, from this stage before, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 21 years old or right before my 21st birthday. I was in college and a friend of mine had been sharing the gospel with me for a couple of years. And I thought I'd found the path to life in college. I thought I was gonna show up to college and just make it the best four years of my life and there were a bunch of other people on that wide road and I thought it was fun and my friend was over on this narrow road and he kept telling me, I don't think that's life, I don't think that's life, I think you need to follow Jesus. And I looked at his life and I looked at mine and I saw his was wildly different than mine. I said, I want what you've got. And by the grace of God, my eyes opened and I got on that narrow path and started to follow Jesus. And I can stand up here now and tell you guys, 23 years later, that was the greatest decision I ever made. And I'm so grateful that by God's grace that he opened my eyes to follow after Jesus and to be on that narrow road. And it has been, the best. it has changed every aspect of my life. All of my relationships have changed. My understanding of my purpose in life has changed. There's a meaning every day when I wake up and that's because of Jesus. 
But at the exact same time, after following Jesus on that narrow path for 23 years, I can also tell you it's been one of the most difficult decisions I ever made. It is hard on the narrow path. There are times where it is incredibly lonely. There are times where I feel alone out there. I feel like I'm the only one that is trying to live in a certain way when I compare myself to the rest of the culture. And it is so difficult and so hard to fight sin and to to work hard to reconcile relationships and to think about uh, serving other people. That is difficult sometimes and I just get worn out on that narrow road from time to time. And when I start to get worn out, I start looking over at that wide road and I start dreaming about what would it be like over there. It seems like they're having a lot of fun over there. So in my mind, I start to do some of these mental gymnastics where I just go, you know what I bet I could do? I bet there is a third option. I bet I can have one foot in the wide road and I bet I can have one foot in the narrow road. I bet I can go over there and just dabble a little bit. Seems like a lot of fun. Seems like there may be some life over there. You know what I basically think I can do? I think I can walk two roads at the exact same time. I think I can be like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Let's just assume for a moment that there is maybe a third option where you could keep one foot in each world. And can we all just also agree that that is the worst of the three options? And the reason it's the worst of the three options is that you have too much Jesus to really enjoy the wide road. And you've got too much of the wide road to really enjoy Jesus. So that's the worst of the options. There's two options. There's the wide road that leads to destruction or there's the narrow road that leads to what we want. That's where the life is found. And so Jesus is letting us know that the most important decision we'll make is to follow after him, that narrow path. And so he keeps going. He's got a caution for us. Let's look at this. Let's go back to the text. So in verse 15, he says this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. So let's pause here. He's got this caution for us now against these false prophets. And so a prophet is somebody who has a relationship with God. They have a relationship with God and therefore now their life teaches something and their life teaches sometimes through their words and oftentimes through their actions. And a prophet is somebody who has this relationship with God and their life and their words line up and what they teach lines up with God's heart and God's intentions. Their words and their actions line up with God's word. That's what a prophet is, is somebody who has this relationship and teaches in accordance with God's word. And what Jesus is saying is that there are some false prophets out there. There are some people who either don't have a relationship with God, and therefore they're not teaching things that line up with God's word or God's heart or God's intentions, or they do have a relationship with God, but they're just skewed in in what they think is true or where they think is the path towards life. And so either the way they live or the words that they share does not line up with God's word. And Jesus is reminding us to watch out for these people, that they're there. Paul picked up on this in, in Galatians. This is what he says in Galatians chapter one as he's writing to this church. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. If we've already said, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, 
Let them be under God's curse. And so what is this gospel that Paul is talking about? It's the good news of what God has done to accomplish salvation through Jesus Christ. And anybody who teaches anything that is different than the gospel of Jesus Christ, that heaven is a gift, that this relationship with God is a gift through Jesus Christ, anybody that teaches anything different than that is a false prophet. And false prophets are everywhere. I mean, you go home today and you turn on the television, you will see, go up to some of those upper channels and you will see a bunch of people who are false prophets claiming to be followers of God telling you to follow this path towards health, wealth, and prosperity. There, is a lot, there are, are tons of false gospels and false prophets that are out there. But they're not just on television. They're walking around everywhere. In fact, they're here. There's some of, some of you in here today, this morning, are false prophets. Simple way to think about a false prophet is this. You know what they are? They're posers. They're posers. I grew up in the Stranger Things era when that actually was happening, and that's what, we, that's what we called people in middle school that pretended to be a skater, but they weren't really a skater. They were a poser, right? A poser is somebody who talks the talk, but they do not walk the walk. They're a Fairweather fan. They're a faker. They're a bandwagon fan. And you know why there's so many false prophets and so many Fairweather fans out there, so many posers out there? Because it is way easier to be a poser and to be a Fairweather fan than it is to actually be a follower. You can fool anybody. It is so easy to fool people. And I saw this firsthand in my own life just a little over a week ago. A little over a week ago, my family and I had an amazing opportunity to take a family vacation. We got to go out to the West Coast. We are huge baseball fans, and we've been trying to see all 30 major league ballparks, and so we're trying to uh, tick those off and see some of those. And so we got to go out to the West Coast, Southern California. We got to go to San Diego and see the Padres and then go up to Anaheim and see the Angels play. And then on Thursday night, August 1st, we got to go uh, up in LA and we got to go to Dodger Stadium. And I had first time at all of those ballparks for me. And we got there on that Thursday night game, Dodger Stadium, got there a little early watching batting practice, just taking in the views of that stadium. It was so fun. The game started, and it was just kind of a magical night. Highland Park's own Clayton Kershaw was pitching, and uh, first inning, Cody Bellinger, the all-star outfielder and probably gonna win the National League MVP, hits a home run. It was 75 degrees, for crying out loud, on August 1st. I mean, it was a magical night. It was a magical night. And so uh, the innings keep going by. The game's moving along pretty quick. It's the bottom of the sixth inning, and the Padres are beating the Dodgers 2-1. to one. A couple of things start to happen there in the bottom of the sixth inning, two outs, bases loaded, and this kid that I had never heard of, a rookie who had just gotten called up a few games ago, his name is Will Smith, and by the way, his walk-up song was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which I thought was genius. That, that's what you have to do if your name is Will Smith. So anyway, this guy Will Smith comes up to bat, bottom of the sixth inning, two outs, bases loaded, and then this happened. Watch this. It was amazing. And so literally right before that pitch that he hits over for that grand slam, my 10-year-old looks at me and he just goes, what if he hits a grand slam? And I was like, that would be crazy. Then that pitch goes and he hits that. And if that camera angle would have gone over there to section 46, <laughs> row three, what you would have seen is me. The second Will Smith hits that, I just go up and I'm like, yes. And that ball seemed to be moving in slow motion. And I'm like with the rest of the crowd, I'm like, go, go, 
go, and I watch that center fielder jump up to try to rob that, and I see that ball land over there, and I, with 42,000 of my closest friends, we lose our minds, okay? I'm like, God, that's amazing, that's amazing, and then I did what only happens at sporting events. These people all around me that I've been ignoring for 90 minutes are suddenly, are suddenly like family, and I'm like high-fiving all of these people going around. I look over, I'm high-fiving my family. This drunk guy comes running down the row to my eight-year-old to give my eight-year-old a fist bump. I'm like, fist bump the drunk guy, let's go. <laughs> this is amazing. In that moment, just taking a snapshot, I looked like I had been a Dodgers fan my entire life. But I hadn't. I've been a Dodgers fan for about six innings. <laughs> but it is so easy to be a Fairweather fan. So easy to fake it. Had everybody fooled all around me. It's easy to fake being a Fairweather fan at a sporting event, but you know where it's really easy to fake it, where it's really easy to be a poser? It's really easy to be a poser at church. That's where it's easy. You can fool a bunch of people, especially in Dallas. Show up, sit in the row, listen, talk about it a little bit, hang around a little bit, start to learn some Christianese, start to learn some buzzwords, learn how to love on people, how to struggle well, whatever the buzzwords are, learn how to do all that kind of stuff, join a community group, learn how to navigate a community group, like kind of confessing your sins, kind of sharing things, you'll learn all the sound bites, you'll learn how to say enough just to not be on the hot seat for that week. Send your kids to camp, give some money away. Don't drink or smoke or cuss in public. Eat a lot of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Go see Need to Breathe every time they're in town. Claim Lord of the Rings as your favorite movie series, whatever it is. I mean, it is so easy, so easy to just fake it. So easy. And Jesus is telling us that we need to watch out. We need to watch out for that. You could make the argument that America is largely full of false prophets. There was a Gallup poll that came out a few years ago, and it determined that 76% of the American population identifies themselves as being a Christian. And then Barna did a study a couple of years ago as well, trying to drill down a little bit, or almost trying to drill down on that. It's going, okay, well, how many people actually believe and live like a biblical worldview? And for the purpose of their study, the biblical worldview was, do you believe that an absolute moral truth exists, that the Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles and that it teaches? Do you believe that Satan is real, not merely a symbol? Do you believe that a person can't earn their way to heaven by trying to be good or do good works? Do you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life on earth? Do you believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today? And that study indicated that the American population, there's 9% of the population that actually believes and tries to live that way. It's so easy to be a false prophet. And so Jesus is warning us, he's giving us this caution for a couple of reasons. Number one, so that we're not surprised when we run into him while we're out here. But he's also looking at this audience, saying watch out for these people and there's gotta be a part there where we do some self-introspection. And so I, we just have to ask ourselves, is this you? Are you faking it? Are you just walking, are you just talking the talk? 
but there's no substance there, there's no heart change there? Are you just faking it? Are you just playing a game? Are you a fair weather fan or are you following after Jesus? So the most important decision we make, there's two choices, the narrow road or the wide road, and we've got this caution, we've gotta watch out for false prophets. So some of you may be going, all right, Adam, how do I know who a false prophet is? How do I know if I'm on the wide road or the narrow road? And I love that's where he closes up or wraps up this section that we're gonna be in here this morning. Let's jump back in to the text, verse 16, because Jesus gives us a good clue here. Verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The thorn bush and the thistle were just kind of these thorny scrub brushes that wouldn't produce any good fruit. So of course, grapes wouldn't come from those or figs from those. So the audience is tracking with Jesus, going, no, those bushes wouldn't produce that good fruit. And Jesus in verse 17, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, meaning it is not fulfilling its purpose, it's useless. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So how do, you want to, how do you know if somebody's a false prophet or if you're a false prophet, how do you know if you're on the right path, if your direction is moving towards the destination that you want? You inspect the fruit. You look at the fruit. And what I love about what Jesus is saying here with the fruit is that you cannot fake fruit. You can't fake it. The tree is either healthy or it's not healthy. And if it's not healthy, it will not produce good fruit. It cannot be faked. And so what's the fruit? What's the fruit? Well, we can just go right on back to Matthew chapter five, verse three, and where this sermon started, where the Sermon on the Mount started. All the teaching that we've been talking about over the last 13 weeks, this is the fruit of somebody who has a reconciled relationship with God. And so if you were to go back right there to the Beatitudes where we started, are you poor in spirit? Do you understand that you're spiritually bankrupt? You bring nothing to this relationship with God. You have got nothing. Are you poor in spirit? Do you mourn that inadequacy? The fruit is that you're meek. The fruit that you would see if you're connected with God is that you hunger for that connection. You show mercy to other people. As you keep moving on in chapter five, that you reconcile your conflicts. You don't let anger rule and run your life. That you don't get into the love, give in to the lusts of the flesh. That you keep your commitments. That you don't seek revenge when people hurt you. You move into chapter six, that you don't live in a way that tries to impress other people with your religious activity. You have a healthy relationship with money and possessions, that your life is not run and ruled by anxiety and worry, that you live dependently on the Lord, that you proactively seek to love other people, and if you fail at any of these, you admit your fault and you take the log out of your own eye. That's the fruit. That's the fruit. That's what lets you know that you're on the right path or that somebody is a true prophet. Paul summarized it this way in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit. And let me be really clear. This is not a to-do list. That's not a to-do list. Like, just go out of here and just try to go do all of that stuff. That list, that's not a to-do list. That list is not something that's very difficult for you to do, though. It's not difficult for you to do that. It's impossible. Which is why Jesus in John chapter 15 says it this way. 
remain in me as I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. You can't do this by yourself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So it goes right back to that choice. Jesus saying, you want life? Follow me. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. If you stay connected to me, the result of that, the byproduct of staying connected and following me is gonna be fruit. That fruit is gonna provide nourishment and it will be evidence that you are on the right path. Fruit is how you will know. And just one reminder here too. Fruit does not grow overnight. Fruit grows over time. Jesus didn't say that by their branches they will be known or by their leaves they will be known or by their flowers they will be known. Those types of things, that can grow pretty quick. Fruit, fruit takes a while. Fruit doesn't grow overnight. This may surprise you, I don't really know a lot about uh, trees and how long it takes fruit to grow, so I did some research, and this, this is true, that fruit takes time. If you were to go home today and plant an apple tree, it would take two to five years before you started to see good fruit. If you planted a cherry tree, anywhere from three to seven years, fig tree, one to two years, an olive tree, two to three years, a peach tree, anywhere from two to four years, the list just keeps going on and on. A plum tree, three to six years. Fruit doesn't grow overnight. Fruit grows over time. And so Jesus is saying the most important decision that we're gonna make, the most important decision we're gonna make is where are we gonna try to find life? And he wants us to follow that narrow path, not that wide path. And he wants us to beware that there's gonna be some false prophets out there or we ourselves may be false prophets. And the evidence to know if you're on the right path or if somebody is a false prophet is to look at the fruit. So I'll just close with this one last thought. What I love about the way Jesus is wrapping up this sermon is he is simplifying life for us. He's simplifying things. So we were joking a few minutes ago about Bucky's and how we love all the options and we love all the choices. But we also feel something else when we get back in our car after Bucky's and get back on I-35. You also feel a little exhausted. You know, researchers have found out that we probably make upwards of 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions a day, and there's some growing evidence that all of these choices that we want, that we think are making our life better, all of these choices are not making our life better, it's making us miserable. Because when you have a 1,000 choices and you choose one, you're not satisfied with just that one, you're thinking about the 999 that you didn't choose. And so we're starting to be exhausted with all of these choices, and what Jesus is doing is he's doing us a favor, and he's going, there's not thousands of choices, there's two, there's two choices. What he's basically doing is like one of those, those jokes that we'll share with one another every once in a while. Like there's two types of people in the world. You guys know those? Two types of people in the world. Those who drink Coke, those who drink Pepsi. Two types of people. Those who put the ketchup on their fries or next to their fries. Those who recycle and those who lie about recycling. You guys know all those, right? <laughs> and so what Jesus, in my mind, when I'm reading this, the end of this Sermon on the Mount, I'm like, that's basically what he's doing here. He's kind of saying there's two types of people in the world. Those on the narrow and those on the wide. So if he were wrapping up this sermon in this room here this morning, he would say there's two types of people in this room right now. Not three, not four, not five, two. 
And there's some of you in this room this morning who are on the narrow path. You have chosen to follow Jesus. God in his grace and mercy has opened your eyes. You understand you're a sinner in need of a savior and that savior is Jesus Christ and you have made the decision to follow that narrow path. And if that's you, I just wanna let you know that it is worth it and keep it up on that narrow path. I know that path is difficult sometimes. I know you feel like a stranger and alien in this culture. I know it's hard to raise your kids in a different way. I know it's difficult to to handle relationships differently than the world handles it. I know it's difficult at times to think about your money and your resources and your time and all of your life in a different way. And I just wanna let you know that it's worth it. It is worth it. I love how Todd reminds us that as followers of Jesus Christ, this narrow path that is difficult, I love how he reminds us that this is our hell. This is as bad as it gets on this narrow path. And that when we die, we have perfection. There are no more tears as we spend eternity with Jesus. So if you're in here this morning and you're on that narrow path, it is worth it. Keep it up. But not everybody in here this morning is on the narrow path. There's a lot of you that are on the wide path. And if that's you, if you're on the wide path, I just wanna be a friend and I just wanna let you know and remind you of the words of Jesus that that path leads to destruction. I know you have dreams and aspirations for your life and where you want your life to go and you think it's the good life. I just wanna let you know if you're on the wide path, you're following anybody other than Jesus, there is not gonna be any happily ever after in your life without Jesus. And I know that you think that wide path is bringing you life, but I think what you know is what I knew when I was 21 years old, that that wide path, it doesn't bring the life. That's why you're constantly looking for the next hit, the next thing, the next adventure, the next adrenaline rush, the next purchase, the next relationship, because you haven't found what you're looking for, because it's not there. If that's you, if you're on that wide path, I wanna let you know, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ is available to you today. You can repent, you can turn your back on that wide path. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and get on that narrow path. And when you do that, you'll find that Zoe, you'll find that good life that you've been looking for. And it'll be difficult at times and you'll feel lonely at times, but it's worth it. And over time, you'll start to see some fruit and you'll be like this. This is the good life, this is what I want. So if you're in here, and you're on that wide path, I implore you to place your faith in Jesus. And if you're on that narrow path, continue on, it's worth it, amen? Amen, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy in our life. We thank you that you don't want us to live a life that is gonna head towards destruction. And so you have sent Jesus to die for us So God, we are so grateful. We're so grateful that the narrow path is available still to everyone today. So God, I pray that we will not be found to be false prophets. I pray that as we follow the narrow path and as we spend time with Jesus, that fruit will produce, that it'll be a blessing to other people, it'll be a blessing to others in our life, and that it will ultimately bring you the glory that you deserve. And for my friends in here, this morning, right now on that wide path, Lord, I pray that you will convict them. And I pray that 
now that they will place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and get on that narrow path. And I'm grateful that the grace and mercy is available for them as it's available for all of us. So we thank you, Jesus, for the way that you love us.